Please note the Engaging Talent podcast series was recorded before the outbreak of COVID-19 and before social distancing measures were introduced. Welcome to the Engaging Talent podcast brought to you by CPL, where you'll find out about emerging talent solutions and insights from the world of work. I'm Siobhan O'Shea, Client Services Director with CPL, and over this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing a range of issues that are changing how we work and how companies hire talent. From resilience and well-being to sustainability and tech, the Engaging Talent podcast will keep you informed and your talent engaged. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Christian Kinnear of HubSpot to discuss the multi-generational workplace in 2020 and the rise of flexible working. How a culture of flexibility, autonomy and transparency helps to attract and engage talent across generations and how companies can best position themselves for the future of work. So Christian, what does HubSpot do? So HubSpot is essentially a software company. Um, we software and services provider and we effectively pr- provide services for marketing, sales and service professionals. Uh, so a lot of the front end part of your business where you might interact with uh, prospects, customers on the front end of your business, uh, we sell software and services to manage that engagement. In terms of the differentiators that HubSpot are kind of leaning into to attract talent and hold on to your talent, what are some of the things that are working really well for you guys? I think the pillar of it is the culture. And, and that's a term that's thrown around quite a bit. Everybody talks about culture. Uh, I'll give you um, my version or our version of, of what that means to us. Um, I think our culture, bring it way back to our the inception of the business. So uh, Brian and Darmesh, our two co-founders, set the business up in 20, 2006, seven, uh, And around that time, Darmesh had a concept of a culture code. And his his rationale was he's a self-confessed tech geek. It's, his, his background is, is technology. So he, he devised the concept that culture is like writing code for an app or, or programming where you want to change the app, you want to enhance the features, you want to grow it and scale the product you have to rewrite the code constantly and code gets bugs and things happen unintended consequence of when you write, write code. So you have to be iterating, constantly cleaning it up and adding to it. And culture's like that too. You don't build culture and then it's done. Uh, it's constantly iterative. So mm. he created the culture code, uh, which is a, doc- a document, uh, it's a slide deck. Uh, if you want to find it, I'm sure your, your listeners can find it online. And we've had about just over 5 million views of culture code now, which is wow. kind of mind-blowing, mm. yeah, for what... Theoretically, should be a relatively boring uh, piece of um, corporate documentation saying, here's our operating system, how we run our business, how we like to, to do things. But have five million people read it. Mm. It's, it's kind of phenomenal. I've seen it, actually. It is. It, but it's yeah. quite engage. It's done in a really engaging way. So yeah. I can understand why so many people have you know, yeah. gone and looked at it. Yeah, it's, it's great. And um, I think it, um, it espouses a bunch of the things you're asking about. Why would someone come to HubSpot and why would people stay? Um, I guess the, the pillar within the culture code is Darmesh, with a bunch of other people who've helped him along the way, has tried to embrace the future of work. And work has changed fundamentally. People used to join a business to say, I want to build a point where I can get a pension and retire. People are now saying, actually, I want much more purpose in my work. Mm-hmm. Pension is a future state, but purpose is more what I want to do today. Um, the concept of, do I want to have a great manager or boss? Actually, it's now about my colleagues and peers. People mm-hmm. just want to have people they work with who, who they can learn from and engage with. And the whole concept of where and how you do your work has changed completely. So the old world of nine to five in an office and that's the, the where and when you work has completely changed. And people are saying now it's a whenever, wherever approach, but 
not to be misconstrued with people wanting less work or a handier, easier way of working. People are working just as hard now mm-hmm. and just as, if not more productive now than they ever were, but they want it in a flexible way. And again, our culture codes embrace that to say, we'll give you autonomy, give you flexibility. Uh, we'll work with you on how you want to work and we'll tell you what needs to get done. The how you do it and where you do it and when you do it is is okay to flex on. And uh, we've leaned into that whole bunch and that seems to resonate well with candidates and, and our staff too. Mm, yes, in terms of like you're doing some really innovative um, things around remote working, I noted as well. So, you know, how is that? How are you balancing that trust piece? You know, because that always comes up even with a lot of our customers who are trying to get on the journey of flexible working. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a really interesting. The um, remote, maybe I guess um, I'll give you a definition of remote of sorts because this again gets debated quite a bit. Um, there's different concepts of somebody working in a different office to you. So they might be working in a US office and you're remote managing them. That's not necessarily what I would describe as remote because you're both mm-hmm. office based. Um, nor is working from home. Sometimes people think um, I half work in the office, half work from home. But again, I'd say that as, as working from home or a mixed hybrid environment. Uh, so the pure where you're working 100% from home or your own location uh, is what I'm talking about here. And in our um, in our business, it's been a really interesting journey. We've got over 200 people now globally who are remote which uh, is our third biggest location in inverted commas, um, outside of our head office in Cambridge in Dublin, next is remote. So as a, as a grouping, uh, that's, that's a really big group of, of individuals we should solve for. So we've, um, we've done a few things. I think um, we've been very explicit saying you can't take your recruiting and hiring and managing operating system as it was built for office and expect remote people to bend around that or find a way to, to solve against that. You've got to rewrite it. You've got to reset mm. and, and do it again. Because what we've done, we've um, we've hired a couple of uh, program managers globally. We've got one now in Dublin, which is great for for the EMEA business, um, who have redesigned how we source and engage with candidates who are remote, which is very different to somebody coming into your office. Um, how do you uh, recruit around that process? Because again, very very different process. How do you onboard? How do you manage? Um, how do you include and make sure they're included and belonging? So there's a whole bunch of playbooks and things we've built to say. Um, as a remote person, you have a different set of needs and we want to satisfy and, and work for those. Plus making a bunch of our um, our job specs and some of the our web assets and things. When you go back and you, you have somebody who has a, a critical eye that says, if I was a remote person, what I'm seeing doesn't feel and look remote friendly. It looks like you're referencing things because we all have our own point of reference. If you're an office-based manager and you're writing a job spec, unknown to you, you're writing elements that are office based in terms of for any organizations who are out there and considering kind of engaging more in remote strategies for their people like what have been the greatest challenges in the process I mean sounds like you've been tweaking the process there over the last few years so what kind of jumped out as the biggest challenges yeah I think the from the incumbent existing hiring managers um, was probably the biggest obstacle to overcome because they again in in our business, I think many companies, your listeners would be similar. You're you're on a, a continuing performance path of sorts. You've got to achieve results and numbers and outcomes and things, be it weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever those deadlines and goals. So the idea of taking a bit of a gamble in their mind saying, will I risk mm. a, a head in this environment where that head might or might not work out versus what I know is if I bring someone into the office and do what I've done before, that's pretty well proven. I feel pretty comfortable what's going to happen. And people make that choice to say, I'll just do what I've always done because I feel it's less risk versus what they perceive to be this this other risk. And we 
we were, I think, in a good place that our US colleagues leaned into remote a lot more than us. They proved out a bunch of roles and built a big data set that we shared, which, again, a little of uh, our mind internally is we, we love our data. We love to see some proof points and evidence-based. Um, we saw that the ramp of those people, the performance from day one to, to hitting full performance, was slightly better than office-based people. We saw their uh, retention rates were higher than people who are office-based. We have this uh, ENPS, the employee NPS, the, mm-hmm. the satisfaction survey mm-hmm. feedback was higher than people in the office. So it was a little bit of an aha moment for all the hiring managers to say, not only are people who you find out there happier and more productive and they stay longer, this is like, these are all the things I want. So mm. I thought it might be the opposite. It's actually, you know what, I should be hiring a bunch of these people. And that was a catalyst for them to say, there's now good evidence to show that I got it wrong mm. and I should lean in and embrace it. And I think there's a bit of a, uh, from an Irish perspective or certainly from a Dublin point of view, um, the talent war is on, right? There's yeah. such a big uh, um, competition for talent in all industries everywhere, uh, all roles, all levels. And the idea that there's, that people who are not physically based here may well be experienced, talented and have all the skills we need. Um, it's a bit back to future work. People realise that you can't always just expect everyone to come to you. And in the future, that won't always be the case. You've got to sometimes go where talent is. And there's talent all over the country uh, and in lots of other countries, depending on, on how you're set up, um, that you, you shouldn't just limit yourself. And we, historically, traditional business has limited itself, saying you've got to live within a 10K radius of mm. where I decide the office is. And that's my catchment. And if you don't, you have to uproot your life and come come to me. That's not going to be the case in the future. And that's already starting to happen. So again, people realizing that if I stick to my traditional view of you have to come to me, I might have a role open for three months, six months longer than I wanted. Or if I embrace this new approach, I can probably fill that role a hell of a lot quicker. And turns out they're just as good, if not better than office-based people. Very interesting. Um, your annual diversity report, can you share a little bit about some of the highlights out of that? Uh, there's some really interesting data I think it's revealed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's our fourth year doing it. Uh, we started in 2017, uh, so it's our fourth year. Um, I, I think overall I'm, I'm really proud that we do it. I think the idea of being open and transparent is back to Dharmesh's culture code. We like to be transparent, like to share. Um, and I think what it does is it helps people in our business realise that what we're doing and, and how we're addressing what progress we're making or not, the case might be, we can touch on that as well. Um, and it, it keeps us accountable because we mm. we said we want to improve some of these parts of our business. We want to have more different, we want to have more diversity. Um, and are we are we achieving what we wanted to or not? And what else do we need to do to, to double down? So to answer your question, I think the, um, the areas that we look at um, are across age, uh, gender and ethnicity are the, the three primary pillars. Um, we've introduced some other uh, self-identification uh, components as well. But across those, um, we've seen increases. But honestly, I think it's still a journey and still a path we're taking. We're we're progressing in the right direction. I'd like to go faster. I'd like to see more progress. I think we all would. I think we're doing a lot uh, to double down on things, try and progress further. But um, at, at a headline level in our business, we've got um, a gender mix of 44% women, 56% men. Um, so the, the male-female is not too much out of balance, but within that, there's some pockets and areas that we want to address further. So we've got um, a little bit of the um, what we see in industry generally. So technical roles or engineering mm. roles, mm. it's more like 70% male, 30% female. Um, in some of the other roles, uh, customer success and support, uh, marketing, we see a little the other way around, 60% women, 40% men. Um, so we want to see more balance in those areas for sure. Um, 
sales is, is about similar to the company average, um, all of which we've got seven categories. We, we, we look across the seven parts of the business, if you like, uh, five of which have moved in the right direction more towards more balanced, have more gender balance, but the moves are relatively slow. They're still like single digit percentages. So uh, it's not an overnight thing. We'll, we'll be able to just flick a switch and, and get that perfect balance, but um, a physical moving in the right direction. In terms of, uh, I know that you have a very high level of a millennial kind of population within HubSpot. Um, so, you know, wh- what are you doing, firstly, I suppose, to attract the millennial generation and other generations into HubSpot? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question about millennials and the makeup of millennials in our workforce and in, in the industry in general. Um, I think if you take millennials as being broadly categorized in the 24, 25 year olds up to 38, 39 year old range, um, at the lower end, we're doing some work on grad programs, um, campus recruitment, and a bunch of things for a younger generation coming through um, the post millennial generation. But maybe the, the more pertinent question is on the higher end. So on the uh, age 40 plus, uh, the Gen X and boomer mm-hmm. uh, generations. And we've done a few things there. I think the one specific thing we did, which um, I'm pretty proud of, is we started a returners program in Dublin, uh, which has now been expanded internally to our US colleagues. They're now doing it across the US. I think it's uh, going to become a, a global uh, rollout program, which is which is great. But for those that aren't familiar with returners, it's people who have maybe left the workforce for different personal reasons. Um, they have uh, starting a family, they're a carer, illness, leave of absence, some other reason, and they're now looking to come back into the workforce. And returners have a structure where they help coach and mentor people to prepare to come back into the workforce because those people will find it at times pretty daunting because the work will have changed and moved on quite a lot since the previous time of when they left and how the systems were set up. Uh, the way of working methodologies. So that's been working great. We've been running that and we'll continue to double down on that. Um, but then beyond it, I think the, the the piece that I think we all have to take responsibility for and I, I think we're doing uh, our share of is scanning for how inviting our business looks to somebody from the outside because there's a reason why somebody who's slightly older um, doesn't feel like they could or should apply to company XYZ, whoever mm. that might be. Um, and that's everything, again, from uh, job specs and the assets and things that people will see, uh, the content, the images. There's lots of pieces, again, if you if you scan for uh, which age profiles are we promoting or showing versus which ones we're not. Uh, we've got to be conscious there. But I think the last part, which is um, something everyone can do, and, and again, a bunch of your listeners might uh, relate to it, is you have to take a view of your own hiring manager's bias because... Every one of us have bias. We all have biases that are built over the context of our life journey we've taken, where we see and hear things from parents, friends, family, community, school, media, and we form opinions based on those that uh, A is true, B is false, and so on. And we all have biases, one of which may be an ageist bias, that we make some uh, assumptive correlation that a person of a certain age is or isn't X, Y, and Z. And we have to challenge those. Mm. Um, we, we do a bunch of work on this. We've done a bunch to... Uh, diversify the slate and how we do recruitment, how we do roundtable feedbacks. We challenge each other openly as to what evidence did you have for that that conclusion you made. Um, and we try and use um, competency-based interviewing, which is takes out the subjective component mm. of people. The last thing you want is an interviewer coming out saying, I didn't feel A, X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. You want them to be objectively assessing that the things I'm looking for, I looked for examples of what the person has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want that objectivity coming out. And probably the last piece is there's a there's an old style view of interviewing in my view my opinion which is performance based saying 
tell me where you've done this job or something very like it before and that you were able to do it. Let me just see those two. Let me make sure that you're, you can do this role. It's much more about potential and performance. So mm. what we, we're not looking for is somebody who says, have you done this, i.e. have you been in a company like ours doing a role like this? And if not, you're not welcome. That's crazy. That mm. is just, it's so short-sighted. I think it's, it's just an archaic way of, of interviewing. I think understanding somebody's abilities and skills and what they've done in a much more holistic sense and saying, if you can do those things in other environments, be it personal, private and career, uh, in different environments, your potential of doing well here is far more important. And I think when people hear that, especially, again, people in, in uh, the different generations outside millennials say, great, so I don't mm. have to have come already from the environment because that's not where I'm from, mm. is absolutely, that is not a requirement. It's not that you've done exactly this job in a different logo, a different company. Uh, I want to know about your potential and potential, everyone has potential. So the the idea of entering the tech industry, you know, we've um, entry-level tech roles tend to be, again, connected with grads you say entry-level tech equals a campus grad play not at all most people now are entering tech saying i was in a different industry i want to move across but first entrant into tech feels needs help support needs needs some of that stuff they they feel nervous and that's any age so it's it's age agnostic your first entry point is much more age agnostic now than it was in the past we, we got to embrace that mm. oh it's brilliant to see it and i i mean coming back to your point about the war on talent, I suppose, if we can unlock potential across all the different generations. I mean, first time ever having five generations yeah. working together. I mean, there's so much rich potential there. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I know that D&I and belonging is, is really important to HubSpot. And I think you've taken those conversations kind of beyond HubSpot and into the wider community. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing, I suppose, to support the community here, even in Dublin and beyond? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The um, the through the the very specific topic of inclusivity. So we've done a, we have a series called Cracking Inclusion, um, and that's taken a, a, a lens that maybe is slightly different to what maybe some people might just assume. So the uh, the understandable assumption for most people and default is inclusion and uh, diversity inclusion is is the things you can see. So it tends to be gender and ethnicity, which uh, are very much need a bigger discussion, and there's lots more to be done there. We wanted to diversify a bit and broaden the scope and say there's other things than just the scene. There's the unseen diversity too. So um, you can have people who um, either are uh, dealing with mental health issues. Uh, there's lots of individuals out there who have lots of things going on, uh, which is a challenge to people who have different setups in different environments, um, people who have got learning abilities, um, people who are parents and carers who come from a different perspective, uh, people of different religious beliefs, which you might not see. So there's a whole raft of things, a whole spectrum of things that you, you won't see just by looking at somebody to tell, I can see you're a diverse, different candidate. Um, so there's elements of how do we help those individuals when they come to work, they can be their full self, they can bring their full self to work. They don't need to be concerned um, which again would be understandable that they might worry that will people realise uh, I have A, B and C and what will that mean? Will people treat me differently? Or um, And again, for us on our side, um, being aware and being more thoughtful and being able to help and support people that have a different set of needs, which is is perfectly good. So we, we opened up in our, uh, our conference space. We've got a 275-person conference space in the building over in Docklands. Um, we bring in a bunch of our hope spotters. That's what we call ourselves, hope spotters. And we invite in some speakers and, and then we open up to the general public. So people from industry, non-industry, locals, anyone, everyone. Um, and it's just a fantastic uh, 
little environment for people to learn from each other. There's a, lots of two-way understanding and learning and sharing where um, our own folks take a ton out of it. Um, and then we talk a bit about how we think about it and we, it informs us and back to our culture code, lets us iterate and, and tweak our code a bit as we go along. So it's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's been great. Brilliant. So finally, Christian, if an employer was to take three things away from this podcast around creating an inclusive culture um, and appealing to talent, what would they mm. be? First up, I would say is as an employer, what's your vision of the future of work? And that sounds a little bit fuzzy and a little bit up, uh, up in the clouds, but think of it this way. If you have a clear view of how you see work evolving in your business and what the future will look like, and you're starting to change your business, transform or engineer for that future environment, the people you're looking to speak to, that's stuff that they care about. So you might, again, as a recruiter or a hiring manager, you might have a slightly shorter lens to say, I'm trying to fill this role this week or this month, and that's my lens, my horizon is the next few weeks, the next month. The person you're speaking to is a much longer lens. They're looking at the next number of years. Like if I invest in this company, if I join, I want to know what my future three to five years from now will look like. Uh, so they have a much longer view and uh, sometimes employers don't have that vision. They don't share it if they do have it. So have a vision, have a view, have a perspective, share it so your candidates can, can understand and see it. Um, I think the, the environment, the inclusive environment piece is, again, vitally important. Uh, and the two parts here is do both things, both insert inclusivity type actions. So take action to make it more inclusive, uh, be it uh, education, events, conversations, uh, programs, things you can do to make it more inclusive. Um, but then flip side is seek out and remove exclusive ex- behavior, things that people are doing. And sometimes people feel the first one is a, is a, an easier one, say, will do nice things. And they turn a blind eye to some of the excluding type behaviors. And that's not okay. You've got to do both. You've got to be brave and do both. And um, we've done some things um, around psychological safety, making sure that everybody feels it's okay to speak up, uh, how and when you can speak up. Um, we've encouraged it. We've taken getting leaders to get behind it. Um, we have an, uh, a, a now a new training called uh, Don't Be a Bystander, Be an Upstander. So if you see something, if you see something you don't agree with, don't just say, I'll, I'll say nothing. Like, take an action where you feel comfortable, where you feel safe and so on to do so. But uh, we'd encourage that. So do both. Insert uh, good things and take out the bad things to try and evolve your culture. And the last one is... Um, a piece I listened to a different podcast um, from Verna Myers. She's the VP of Inclusivity mm-hmm. Netflix. And she talked about uh, not just talking about it, but doing the work. And I thought that, was, that really resonated with me because she said lots of people, if you ask them, they'll say, I'm not part of the problem. I am pro-diversity. I'm pro-inclusion. I agree with it. I'm for it. But they're not actually doing anything. And her, her push was, you can't just say, I'm not part of the problem, therefore I'm on the good side. You're only just barely on the good side of the line. She said, you've got to go and do the work. So immerse yourself in, in content, in media, meet people, get into communities, get into groups, uh, understand the topics, like get properly involved and not just say, well, for me, you, know, you guys can all do it and I'll just sit back and, and say that uh, I'll support you if you need me. Like, Take a role. And again, for folks that are listening, if they're... Um, in management leadership roles, like lead by example. You can't expect your organization to change if you're not getting actively involved, getting hands on. So go take some action. 
Brilliant. Look, fabulous insights there for our audience. And thank you so much, Christian Kinnear, for your time today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL. For more information on workplace well-being and for further employer resources, don't forget to visit the Engaging Talent Podcast page at cpl.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Siobhan O'Shea. Thanks for listening and join me on the next episode to find out more on engaging talent solutions.